Okay. We're taking these uh, few Bible studies that were had here <coughs> just before Easter to uh, do some of the little parts. I say little part. There are no little parts, but uh, do some of the things about the week, last week of Christ's life that are... Uh, skipped over on Sunday morning, not because they're not special, but just because we can't do everything. <laughs> There's an endless amount of sermons that you could preach on the last week of Christ's life and the things that happen. And tonight, I'm going to focus on uh, the spiritual battle that happened what took place we do have actually quite a lot of comment on it in the Bible and you have to remember that we go over what we tend to go over because it's in the Bible is the actual historical events what took place and those are all good we need to know those we need to go over those but at all times there was always a spiritual battle in the background. And when I say in the background, it's probably not really in the background. It's probably the main thing that's going on. As the Bible tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we have uh, under, in the world that we can't see, there are evil forces, they are organized, the Bible tells us they are organized, and they have leaders, and they are, uh, of course, if we put what we call, I guess, the main leader, is Satan, and we could call it Satan's kingdom, This, tonight we want to go over the kingdom of Satan versus Jesus Christ uh, uh, as they struggle against him. And we're going to look at the spiritual side of the battle. And this is an all-out assault on Jesus. And it's an all-out assault against God. And there has been that in the beginning before our time started, before Adam. There was a, there was a spiritual rebellion where Satan and we believe one-third of the angels uh, rebelled against God and were thrown out. And God made a place for them, which was hell. And he said, I made that place for the devil and his angels and his followers. And so, uh, in the beginning, they tried rebellion. They came, as soon as God created this world, they came into this world and called the human race into rebellion against God. And now these spiritual forces are lined up against Jesus Christ. And Satan himself plays an intense role here. And... Uh, Jesus knows what's going on. He's not at all taken by surprise. And so I want to talk about this, the actual battles that happen and the attacks that come as we go up through. And finally, the attack on Jesus, which was really intense. And if you're going to look at it like a battle, it starts really, I think, with Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus starts it. Jesus said, well, you know, they're, they're working against me and the powers of darkness are uniting against me. And so uh, I'm going to go. Let's go. I'm going into it. And when he was walking from Galilee to Jerusalem for the last time, he was so intense that his disciples said, what's he doing? He is just focused on getting there. And apparently that was different. 
Usually Jesus stopped along the way, talked to this person, ate at that house. This time he's, he said he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And that's where the conflict is. And that's where the battle is going to take place. So scene number one, he gets on a donkey and rides over the Mount of Olives, looking down on the city of Jerusalem, rides into Jerusalem amidst a cheering crowd, and they are singing. I love it. I just love it. If you're going to have a battle, you ought to be singing. One of the famous battles of the Old Testament was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat went to war and he prayed, God, the army we're against is much stronger than ours. I need your help. And God said, I'll help you. Get your act together and go down there in the morning and be ready. And so Jehoshaphat took all the singers that he had, put them in front of the army. They said, you sing, you sing. And they sang. They sang, uh, mercy and thanks to the Lord for his mercy endureth forever and ever. They were singing that in front of the army, and they whacked them good. <laughs> and so Jesus comes into town with his army, which is just plain ordinary people, singing. And they go over the hill. Here he comes. He's riding on a donkey right down into the temple, goes right into the temple. And one of my favorite parts of that is, is there's children who've been listening in the streets. And as they get into the temple, everybody else quiets down with the children over there singing. I love it when children, Sunday morning when those kids are up there, it thrills my heart, I'll tell you. And they're singing, and the leaders in the temple say to Jesus, you hear them kids singing? Stop it! Tell them to stop! And you remember Jesus' wonderful reply? He said, if they didn't sing, the stones would sing. <laughs> uh, it's a battle cry, all right? We're coming, we're coming. Who? Children singing children singing and you don't want them to sing in your temple and so we have the spiritual battle forming up and jesus says let's start it here's my front attack he goes right into the temple which is a there's nothing but the power of darkness there and he he uh, begins the conflict if he hadn't done that then it would not have happened the same way now in Satan's kingdom already are the Jewish leaders. They're already signed up. Uh, Caiaphas, as the sort of the head of the Jewish leaders in the temple, and they are on the dark side. And the Bible tells us something about it. First John chapter 2. We're going to flip around a little, so I hope you can keep up. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so we have three things that he mentions. Lust of the flesh, uh, uh, physical drives that take over our nature. Uh, lust of the eyes, I see it, I want it. On it, that's materialism and the pride of life, which is uh, to be somebody important. I want to be somebody important. I want to have power, particular power over people. There never was a time that I could remember in American, uh, our country's history, like today, where they desperately crave power. Desperately craving power over other people. Well, that's what these fellows were. And they did it in, in two ways. The lust of the eyes. Uh, take a look at uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Lust of the eyes was that we want money. And we want a lot of it. All we can get. And we love money. And Jesus, when he comes 
over the Mount of Olives, stops at the temple the first day and leaves. The next day, we believe, uh, on Monday, he came on Sunday. Next day on Monday, he went in and cleared the temple. We have the record of it, Luke 19, verse uh, 45. He went into the temple again to cast out them that sold there and, and them that bought, saying unto them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, he did it once three years before, and now the week he dies, he goes in and clears those money changers' temple, drives out the the marketplace that was there. And uh, chapter 20, verse 2, And they spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority thou does things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Who do you think you are coming in and taking our money? You can't just do that. You've got no power to do that. And of course, he turns them back on their ear, as he always did. But the, the very much in the, the people who run the temple are Satan's, in Satan's pocket. There's one reason there is because of the pro, uh, lust of the eyes. Uh, They've got to have money. They crave money, and that's what they have that market for. Now, in John chapter 11, uh, we have... Another thing, this is something that we mentioned on a Sunday morning. John chapter 11. <coughs> verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles as after he raised Lazarus from the dead. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe in him. The Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest the same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation perish not. And so these guys had a place. They said, We don't want to lose our place. Or that's the pride of life. They have influence, political influence, and they don't want to lose it. So the temple... The high priest and the people who run the temple are already on Satan's side. They have given themselves over to these uh, moral decay that the world follows, which is money and power. Money and power. That's all they're about. They are the religious leaders of the day. What do we do when religion turns evil? What do we do when religion turns evil? It was evil. People who ran the religious systems were strictly in Satan's camp and doing what he wanted. They were planning to murder Jesus. It's amazing that they would go out and take your sacrifice and say, here, we'll make a sacrifice for your sin, and then go in the back room and plan more about the murder of Jesus. Right? And they're so... Oh, it's, it's shocking when you stop and think about it. They go to Pilate to take Jesus there, and he has a room where he holds trials. They won't go in. They said, you're a Gentile. We touch your floor, and we won't, we'll be dirty. If you touch a Gentile floor, you will be dirty and won't be able to eat the Passover. But we're not coming inside. You'll have to come out and talk to us outside. We say, what a bunch of hypocrites. They're playing the murder of Jesus Christ and pulling Pilate's strings so he'll do what they want him to do. And, oh, we don't want to get dirty. Touch your floor. So uh, these people are seriously in Satan's kingdom. He's already got them. He doesn't have to worry about it. Now, Satan will now lead a new attack, and these people are already on his side. Now, we got 12 disciples of Jesus on Jesus' side, and Satan is going to attack that group next. He's not short of ideas, okay? I'm going to go after the 12. 
He's got 12 followers. I'm going after the 12. And the first one, of course, he goes after is Judas Iscariot. John chapter 13, over a couple pages to John chapter 13. And this is strictly Satan at work because it, it mentions him and names him. And like I've told you before, Satan can only be in one place at one time. And so if he's doing this, this is what he's doing. He's got his followers, his angels and demons and all the things that he has on his side, plus the humans that are joined up into his side. But uh, John 13, verse 2, Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And so he comes along, he's going to break apart the little group of 12, he picks the one Judas. Uh, Judas is first on his list. Uh, there's a couple things about Judas. Uh, number one, uh, I'm going to say he doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. Uh, he, too, does love power. The idea of power and money. Power and money. So he goes for the money. Give me 30 pieces of silver and I will turn Jesus over to you. A lot of people think and I would tend to agree that when Jesus came in on, on uh, Palm Sunday riding that donkey, uh, people thought this is it. He's going to take over. He's, he's surrounded by a huge crowd. He's going right to the temple. He's going to go in there and take over. And I think Judas probably thought that. And that didn't happen. Two days later, he sold him out. He went and he said, Satan said, Hey, why don't you join the winning side and get rid of Jesus? Offer him up. And so he does. And then we have uh, verse 27 in John 13. After the sop, remember Jesus dipped the bread in the, the mixture and handed it to Judas who was next to him. And it says, after the sop, Satan entered into him and said, Jesus, unto him, what thou doest, do quickly. So Satan actually took possession of Judas for long enough for him to go and make the final deal. He goes back with these people. Uh, he joins sides with Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders. The next fella on the list is Peter. Because Peter and Judas sort of have things in common. The one thing that's not in common is that Peter loves Jesus. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter loves Jesus. Peter will step out and do something that's a little daring. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he grabs his sword and swings it and cuts off Malchus's ear. And so Peter, though, is on the list. And we have what Jesus told him. So we have this information precisely what was going to happen. The attack on Peter by Satan. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Hang on to your hat. Jesus knows and Satan is very active at this time. He's very, very active. Verse 31 of Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now you say, well, I thought he was Peter. He was Simon originally. And when Jesus met him, he said, I'm going to change your name to Peter. It means a rock. But your original name was Simon. Before you knew me, it was Simon. Now he calls him Simon, Simon. He goes back to his original nature. 
And he said, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. It says to Peter, Look, you're next on the list. Satan has carved away one of us, Judas Iscariot. You're next. He's coming after you. And he's going to try to pull you away. And he has asked permission to sift you. Well, we see that happen in the Bible. Uh, uh, the, the devil or Satan is given a name called the accuser of the brethren. I'm reading in Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is always in the business of accusing. He stands up there, and we had an actual picture of it in the Bible with Job. He stood up before God. God said, where you been? I've been out walking around the world. Did you notice Job? Yeah. Well, what about him? He said, you protect him too much. I can't get at him. And God said, oh, go ahead. Take a crack at him. See if you can tear him apart. And he did. He said, With the permission of God. And <clears throat> you remember... When Jesus defined it, he says, the thief, or Satan, comes for three reasons. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those are the three things that are on Satan's mind. Don't think he's come to make friends with anybody. He wants every, he himself is doomed to hell. Hell was made for him. He's going there in the end. There's nothing he can do to avoid it. In the meantime, he intends to take everybody he can with him. That means he wants everybody dead. He wants you dead. Don't think he's going to, you're all right. Just ignore. No, no, he wants you dead. He wants me dead. He wants me dead. Understand, he comes to steal and kill. All right, and he wants Peter dead, and he'd like to, he got Judas, right? He got him dead. As soon as Judas threw the money back in the temple, what did Judas do? He went out and hung himself, because he had no friend in Satan. Nobody's a friend of Satan. And so Peter uh, is accused, and God's, and Satan says, I'd like to beat him good. I'd like to give him the thrashing of his life. And so he said, okay, go ahead. Why would God give permission for Satan to do what he did to Job and now to do what he wants? He wants to sift him. This is what they call it, to sift him. When I was a kid, uh, my mother baked a lot and she sifted her flour. And she had a little old metal sifter with a, with a uh, uh, screen in the top. Put your flour in there and a handle on it. You beat it to a pulp. And I say, I want to do that. She said, okay, come on. You can do it. Yeah. Grind <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that crank and beat that flour. I can do this. Beat that flour right to a tiny pulp. And that's what he wanted to do to Peter. Beat him to a pulp. Crush him. I want to crush him into tiny pieces. I want to do that. And so he got permission. Go ahead. Understand that the attack of the forces of darkness are so organized and so sweeping, it's such a sweeping attack that we're looking at, that you can't get out of the way. You can't get out of the way at this time, because it's all 
out attack, full assault, and they're going to get anybody they can get. And now Satan has put his eyes on Peter. He says, I want to beat him to a pulp. Verse 32, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Boy, I'll tell you, that's the best thing that Peter ever had happened. Because Satan sifted him like wheat. He pounded him to a pulp. Because Peter, he loves Jesus. He's a little bit rash. Steps out and do things he shouldn't. But one of the things he did not want to do is stand alone. And Satan knew that. And so where did he put him? Right in the high priest's backyard. Jesus is on trial up in the courtyard. And there's Peter right there warming himself by fire. And they say, I think you were with him. No, no, I wasn't. He's the only one there now. He's the only one in the yard that was on Jesus' side. I think you were, no, no, I wasn't. A few minutes later, yeah, I saw you too. You were there, and I was not. You're mistaken. And then an hour later, the girl says, you're Galilean. I can hear the way you talk. You came from Jesus' little group and cursing and swearing. And I don't even know him. I never met him. And he's cursing and swearing, and the rooster crows, full attack. Peter, you just got sifted. You got beat to a pulp. And you lost. You lost. But, thank God, Jesus said, I prayed for you. That you come out the other side. So you can get whipped by Satan pretty good. Come out the other side. Job did, right? And now Peter will too. All right? But he lost his conflict with Satan. He got beat real good. And Satan knew how to take advantage of him, and he did it. All right? So we got Satan, his own army, and the Jewish leaders. He goes after the 12, like a good general. He knows they're going to get in that group, pulls away one, pulls away another. All right, now he won't come out. In the end, it'll turn out all right. Who's next? Who's next? Well, over in 1 John, again, John's such an expert. At Jesus. First John chapter three. I want you to understand the conflict that is a spiritual battle, and here's what's going on. First John three, verse eight. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. All right, Jesus, now we go over to Jesus' side. He came with a reason to destroy the devil's kingdom. going to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil's going to give him a run for his money. He's really going to work him over good. Now, let's follow this through. John chapter 14. Satan comes to Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders. He wants them on his side. He gets there, they're already on his side. They're given over to materialism and political power. You know, there's no problem. I got these guys because in their heart is the love of the world. 
money and power. And he said, as John said, if you love the world, you can't love God. And so the people who were sacrificing Caiaphas himself, whose job it was to enter into the Holy of Holies, did not love God. He could care less about God. The least thing he was interested in. So he comes, Satan comes to these guys, is already in their pocket. He goes to Judas, who also loves money, and loves the idea of power. I found something in. I found a weakness. Bang, I got him. And he goes to Peter. Peter loves Jesus, but is afraid to stand alone. Don't throw stones at him, because most people are afraid to stand alone. To be the only one standing. All right, most people are. And so... Uh, he finds something in Peter and he grinds him to a powder and Peter fails miserably. All right? He's got them. But, John 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So Satan who's good at attacking, has seen what he needs to do to get Judas. He's seen what he needs to do to get Peter. And then he came and looked at Jesus real good. He said, there's nothing in there that I can use. (laughs) There's no weakness in there. There's no flaw. There's no frailness. And so uh, Jesus said, he came. And he looked at me to estimate in what way he could best take me down. And he turned around and he said, I can't do anything with him. There's no place that I can attack him. There's no weakness. That's what he means. There's no weakness. But that doesn't mean there is no attack. Now we go and we move the battle into high gear. We are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan is now going to come fully against Jesus Christ with an attempt to take him down. It is one of the deeper passages in the Bible. We are going to talk about it. We are not going to get it all in our head. Because we can't. We're not... Minds are too flawed. But Matthew 26. There's two accounts that we'll look at because they're different. And we want to see how they unfold. Because this is the attack of Satan on Jesus. Now remember, he came to Jesus. He couldn't find any weakness in him. Uh... But in Satan's arsenal, uh, in Satan's weapons, he's got some things that are pretty powerful. Now, let's start here. Uh, Matthew 26. And just pay attention to the details and exactly what happens. And we'll comment on it. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, be James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He's very sad. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And so the attack on Jesus begins with a sorrow. How bad is that sorrow? He says, almost dying. I feel so sad I could almost die. All right? It's a, it's a sorrow, he said, unto death. All right? Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he will 
a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. All right. And he cometh to the disciples, find them asleep, and says to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's gone to pray once. He's come back. They're sleeping. He warns Peter, I'm warning you. You may think you got your head together, but you have great weakness. You need to pray. He went away again the second time and prayed, Oh, my father, if this cup be, uh, may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them to sleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So the second time, they're sleeping. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he cometh to his disciples and says, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And who's coming? Judas, under the power of Satan. All right, now Satan is leading this attack against Jesus. Jesus has prayed three times. All right, so we're going to watch carefully. You will pray three times. That's going to be significant. He says something that he never said before. He uses a phrase that he's now, a word in particular. He calls him my father. You won't see that anywhere else in the Bible. He usually just says, Father, hear me. Father, thank you for listening to me. But this time he prays, my father, my father. It's much more intense than it was before, right? And so he says, I'm close to death. I'm feeling close to death. And he prayed three times, and he prayed, my father. Right? Now, same account over in Luke, told entirely differently. Uh, Luke chapter 22 Back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is under attack. Verse 39. And he came out, and when he was wont, or that means as was his habit, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. When he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, kneeled down and prayed. And so he, we're told here that he was alone. <coughs> so how far can you throw a stone? You know, 30 yards, you know, however far. He's, he's away now. He's left eight of the disciples by the gate. He took in Peter, James, and John in under the trees, and there's these... There's these olive trees, and they're, they're real wide and dense on the top. And so when you walk in, you're really in the shadows. And he takes them in, leaves them sitting there, and says, I'm going farther. And so he goes in alone by himself in there, and <clears throat> he begins to uh, pray. Verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Same thing we read over in the other passage. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And so we get an angel for strength. We don't know what kind of strength it was. Whether it was a moral support, whether it was food. Might have been food. Angels have done that quite a few times, come down and feed people. Because they're in such a state. And he might have brought food. Some way he strengthened him. Uh, and then 
verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, come to his disciples, and found them sleeping for sorrow. And so, then he sweat blood. It's very intense. This is been known to happen in human history that people have sweat blood only under the most intense circumstances that are <coughs> in the mind a, a tremendous amount of stress in the mind and it almost kills the body because the blood vessels break open under the skin and the the blood comes out through your pores. And that has been known to happen in others. So, um, he prays a couple things. If you are willing, Father, remove this cup from me. If it's possible, I don't want to drink this cup. Now, what is it? that's so intense and what's the weapon in Satan's arsenal that is such a powerful force I'm reading from Hebrews now Hebrews in chapter number 5 I'll turn there if you don't want to but you can Hebrews chapter number 5 verse number 7 who in the days of his flesh as Jesus When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death was heard and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. And so he says he offered strong crying and tears He's sweating blood, crying, sobbing, tears in the garden. And he prays to his, my father to keep him from death. Now the first thing that will come into your mind is Jesus is afraid to die. No. No. That's not it. If he was afraid to die, he wouldn't have rode that donkey over the hill. If he was afraid to die, he wouldn't set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's going there to die. He tells him over and over, I'm going there to die. They're going to arrest me and kill me. They're going to lift me up, put me on a cross. I'm going there to die. And so it says he had strong crying and tears from him that was able to save him from death. So what is it here that he struggles against? Uh, Satan knows the things that he has, the arsenal and his weapon. And we go to this little thing here. He prayed three times. I think that's very significant. Three times. This, as far as we know, is the second temptation of Christ. The first temptation of Christ was in the wilderness when he first started his ministry. And Satan, it says, came to Jesus after He'd been fasting and praying for 40 days. Now, you remember the guys from the IRA, uh, the Irish Republican Army. Uh, they used to fast to get the attention of the world. And I remember some of them fasting 30 days, 35 days, and they're just, they can't move. They're just laying there. Jesus fasted 40 days. All right. And then Satan came to him and said, hey, some stones right there, turn them to bread. After 40 days, what do you want? Give me some bread. Mm -hmm. Satan looks at Jesus and says, 
you can do it. You got the ability. You can turn stones to bread. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? Temptation in the weakest point, and he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, do that. You'll have food. Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Number one. Second time, Satan comes up, says to Jesus, Come here, there's a big mountain, I'll take you up there. Look at that. Look at it. There's every kingdom in the world Rome and Greece and Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. Look at all those. They're mine. Those are my kingdoms. They run under my systems. The political forces of this world run under my control. I own them. I'll give them to you if you bow down to me. All right. Now what did Jesus want? Why did he come? For God so loved the world, right? He loved the world. Satan knows the weakness, and he said, here's the whole world. I'll give you the whole world. You want that? You want that? And he says, no. There's only one person to worship God and him only. Will you, sir? And then one more time, number three. Takes him up, the highest point like the steeple on the temple. And jump off. Jump off. Bible says that the angels will catch you before you fall. He will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways in case you dash your foot against a stone. If you're just tripping, angels will be there to catch you. So jump off. What's that going to accomplish, you say? You jump off the temple in Jerusalem and float to the ground? You got all those people on your side. You just won them over. Jump off the temple and you'll have all those people. And he says, no. How many times? One, two, three. Right? Satan comes back again. How many times? One, two. Two, three. He goes and prays, struggles. Each time a little bit more intense until the last time he's sweating blood coming out of him. It's an intensity. What is it? Is he afraid to die? No, he's not. Obviously he's not afraid to die. That's not what is bothering him. But this is an intense attack and it has to do with death. What is death? Death is ultimate consequence of sin. If you're going to sin, you're going to die. The soul that sinneth was God's rule. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Going to die. So death is the ultimate consequence of sin. Now you and I were born with it. First thing we did, <laughs> we barely got going in this world. I remember somebody I knew and they were, their, their child was about three years old, very bright, very intelligent child. And they said, I can't believe he's bad. <laughs> I said, he's not your son, he's Adam's son. I never had to teach my kids how to do wrong. They knew it already. Never had to teach any of them what to do that was wrong. You had to teach them what to do that was right. Never had to teach anybody to do what's wrong because it all comes natural. So within us, we are born in sin. It's a part of our nature. And our consequences of it is we're going to die. <coughs> Jesus never did anything wrong. He doesn't have a sinful nature. There are no consequences coming to him 
because he never did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, the very definition of sin is, is against Jesus. He never did anything wrong, and now he's going to taste the consequence of sin. But he didn't do anything wrong. And the very thing that he came to fix, to redeem us, in order to be, to save us, he had to be one of us. And so he's got to go as a physical human being and almost die, die from sorrow, heaviness of heart, dying from using all his strength, so the angel comes and dying from sweating blood and comes three times close to death right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's tasting it. He never tasted it before. And now he was going to take on him. And what he mentions, uh, this cup, can you take it from me? Or do I have to drink it? Do I have to drink it? And you've got to look in the cup. And we, for you and I to understand what he looked at death as a consequence of sin that he never committed, uh, we, you can't quite get that. You can't quite get it. It doesn't quite go because we're so used to it. Sinning. He never did. And so he's going to taste death. But uh, he gives us this other example. Is this cup. In this cup he's looking in the cup. And all the sins of all the world. Are in the cup. And he says do I have to drink it. Do I have to do. Is there another way. Do I have to do it. Do I have to taste sin. I have to taste it. And the answer is, yeah. And when he finishes, he said, I drank it to the dregs. I drank it all. And he tasted sin. And you got to think of that. Think of our own sins that we've committed. We've got plenty of them, right? Mm-hmm. Plenty of them. Just think of the sins of the whole world. Just think of every person cruelly tortured and murdered in Auschwitz. You're going to drink that. Think of every violent murder, every violent rape. You're going to drink that. Every awful thing that humans have ever thought of, you're going to drink it. You're going to taste it all until it says he became sin. I don't know what that means quite, except for I can see why he didn't want to do it. How awful it was. And so... Three assaults in Gethsemane. Three assaults on him. Intense, very intense assault. He comes out of Gethsemane. And he says to them, and I'm in Luke 22, 53. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. He said, this is the full assault. You have come, swallowed up the Jewish leadership, swallowed up Judas Iscariot, crushed Peter, and now you come after me. And I almost died three times in Gethsemane. But I agreed to drink the cup. And I said, God, my father, I'll do it. If that's what you want, I want it. I'll drink the cup. And he drank the cup. 
and he won. He won. He won that battle. He comes out of Gethsemane as cool and calm and collected as anybody you ever saw. He walks off with them. They put him on trial. They scream and they accuse him of everything you can think of. He just stands. He just stands there. He's calm as can be. Come put him before Pilate and they're screaming all kinds of things at him. And Pilate says, say something. He's cool and calm. Very collected. Very assured and patient. You know what he's doing? Who's the master general here? It ain't Satan. Oh, he's pretty good. But it is the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ. He's lying in wait. He's ready. He's lying in wait to take the enemy by surprise. He calmly waits for his moment. Colossians chapter 2. Calmly waiting for his moment. And the battle rages around him. And they're screaming at him on the cross. He's nailed to the cross and they're screaming at him, insulting him and shouting and yelling. More about that Friday night. I don't want to give it all away. That's where I want to go Friday. But the great general, captain of the army of the Lord of hosts, has won the battle in Gethsemane, fighting it alone, like he did the first time Satan assaulted him, three times, close to death, He will now drink the cup of sorrow and the cup of sin until he becomes sin. And then he's just as cool as can be. He's lying in wait for this. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. That is all the thou shalt not that we did. <laughs> so you read, thou shalt not, yeah, I did that. Thou shalt, yeah, I did that. I did all that. So he's got all these things that you broke the laws, and I did. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What's he doing on the cross? He's getting rid of the things that make us guilty. And then having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. (laughs) He said he destroyed principalities and powers. As soon as he came off that cross, he went across the face of the universe and that whole army that was against him Single-handedly, he destroyed them. And it says he made a show of it openly. And that phrase that they have interpreted that way is kind of like a hunter does. He shoots a woodchuck and he sticks him on top of the fence post. So there, that's what I did to that guy. He's on display for the whole world. I shot that woodchuck and I put him on a fence post. That's what he did with the powers of darkness. When he came, went into hell, and came out of there and smashed that place, put a big hole in it, he came out of there, he spoiled principalities and powers. That is, who? Spiritual wickedness in high places, principality, rulers of darkness. He hung them up on a fence. He made an open display of it. And there, across all the spiritual realms where you and I can't see, there was waste and destruction where he single-handedly spoiled them and ruined them and laid them in waste. He did it by himself. Who's the general? Who's the warrior? 
What do they call him? The Lion of Judah. He's come along and tore that place apart. Smashed everything to pieces. And they thought they won when he said it is finished. <laughs> they didn't. They lost. Destroyed. Put on open display. He hung them on a fence post. And everybody everywhere could say, hey, look at that. Whoever did that was really in charge. That's what Jesus did. The powers of darkness did their worst. They did their work. They united their forces, attacked in the most strategic way they could at his 12 disciples, and then finally an attack on him three times returning, three times almost destroying in him. And then he comes out the other side because he agreed, I will do the will of God. And that's how you're going to come out the other side of your conflict. You're going to say, I'm going to do the will of God. And you're coming out the other side. Is that what you want? Amen. Let's do it. Let's do it. This world is crazy, mixed up, upside down. We're going to do the will of God and come out just fine. Just fine. I got to stop. <laughs> I promise to stop. More on Friday night. Thank you. Yeah. you like to keep on going?